We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or a grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Everybody, welcome to the Rotowire Football Podcast, uh, sponsored by Yahoo Fantasy Sports. It is August 9th. Uh, I'm Scott Jensen, joined today again by Andrew Laird. Uh, we are doing the uh, doing the Friday DFS uh, Football Podcast here. Uh, we've been talking about uh, we're talking about general general strategies, uh, kind of how DFS works, how we play, etc. We thought it would be a good idea this week to uh, kind of take a look at our personal process each week, what we do, how we uh, how we come up with our rosters, but you know how we look back at our rosters, uh, how we look at games, how we break down a slate, that sort of thing. So I think we're going to jump into that this week. But uh, first of all, Andrew, how are you this week? I'm good. There's like football on TV. It's weird. My kids woke uh, woke up today and they're like, Dad, the Jets lost last night. And I was like, well, it's preseason. It doesn't matter. Thinking to myself... You should get used to that, but yeah, I mean, whatever. It's, and uh, but 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 it is the Giants, so I mean, maybe maybe it's not as good as we think. <laughs> uh, that's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's one of those things that like you can learn everything or nothing from preseason football, and it's usually nothing. But um, my my kids are still young enough where they like don't realize that like preseason games don't matter. So you're like, yeah, like the Tom Brady didn't play yesterday. And I'm like, yeah, he's not going to play. And they're like, but the Patriots played. Why wouldn't he play? <laughs> I'm like, I can't get into this at 6, 12 in the morning. But don't worry about it, guys. The Jets haven't lo- haven't officially lost any games yet. 
Yeah, it's. Uh, I used to like be like, oh, the 49ers are playing. I'm gonna watch the first half and really break it down. And then uh, preseason has kind of even moved away from that. Like I'm like, oh, I'll look online, see if uh, see if anybody got hurt, see if any rookies look good. But uh, beyond that, I really try not let it affect me. Aside from maybe a maybe a fringe guy making the team or a, you know a rookie who's you know catching a lot of balls on the backfield or something like that, I try not to. Uh, I really try to let it uh, not to influence what I do in drafts or DFS to start the year at all. Yeah, I mean, there's just so many guys who like could look great, and then you realize that like yeah. a they're actually not that good. B they're playing guys who are not that good, and C you get all excited, and then you find out he didn't even make the roster by by week one. And I don't know. I obviously there's value in it for the teams because they get to evaluate everybody, but it, I just really can't think of many situations where at least especially early in the preseason where like somebody has some huge game and you're just like, Oh, this guy is really good. And like that turns out to be a guy who is actually good. (laughs) We're otherwise just kind of look waiting to, for all the fringe guys to get sorted, but really nothing's changing overall. Yeah. And much of it, uh, when it comes down to it is pretty bad football. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I mean, you have to remember that these guys are, you know, some of the best players on the planet. Absolutely. Uh, in a sport that most of the planet doesn't play. But, um, <laughs> you know, the, they're like hyper elite athletes that are that strangely sometimes look like they've never played football because they're not as good as the the truly elite players in the game. Yeah. And coaches are working on stuff. And uh, my favorite last night, uh, just to get in this, we'll get it. We'll get out of this quick is the, is the Giants on the first drive with Eli third and eight trying to figure out what uh, what the offense is looking like third and eight and they run a draw play. <laughs> I'm like, all right, yeah, I'm done. Yeah, there was a great tweet just to pile on Eli for a second um, about how Sterling Shepard's been wearing a yellow non-contact jersey in practices. I love, I loved this tweet. It was and they so were good. saying that, um, so he was wearing this because he was going to run the routes, but he was not, Eli was not supposed to throw to him and nobody was supposed to tackle him. And both Eli threw to him and people were tackling him. And I'm just like, <laughs> and somehow the Jets are the laughing stock of New York. Yeah. Well, welcome to the 2019 Giants. It's been yeah. a, it's been a good a good training camp. I can't wait. I can't wait for the regular season, even so, though they've uh, already beaten the Jets. <laughs> so let's jump into uh, kind of our personal process each week with uh, with DFS. Uh, I want to start with with early in the week, and I think it's a, sk- a step that a lot of people skip, but I think is really important. And the first thing I do before I even look at the, you know this week's schedule or the Vegas odds or the over unders or who's hurt is I look back at, at my at my process from the week before. I look back at my teams, and it's important to look back at whether you do well or whether you don't. If I did well, I'm like you know what went well, what can I build on, what did I do right, what was just kind of lucky. Um, but you know, if I do well, you know, why did I do well? I want to do well again, so I want to look at that. And if I do badly, you know, what went wrong? I hear a lot of people like, oh, I just got bad luck this week, or this guy fumbled, or this guy got hurt. But there's so much more into it than that. I mean, granted, if, if you do have an injury, you know, you can kind of chalk that up to that happens. So, you know, nice thing about DFS is the next week you don't have to play that guy and you get a, you get a, you get a brand new slate. And also, you know, maybe once in a while you get like we've talked about before, you know, a team jumps out to an unexpected 21 nothing lead and kind of changes the offense. So there are those luck things that built in. You're like, you know, all right, my process is pretty good, but I'm I'm looking at uh, I'm looking forward to next week. But there are a lot of things I can learn from looking back at my lineups mistakes I made and you have to be pretty hypercritical with that and uh, you know it's, it's hard to admit you made mistakes it's hard to look at your team and like yeah what was I thinking there but I think doing that really helps you uh, as you move forward in the season yeah I, I totally agree I think that's like one of the like the most important things you can do each week and obviously uh, this doesn't apply to week one since you can't look back to unless you're playing preseason and I'm not sure you're and, learning a lot from there anyway and, um, and don't do that yeah <laughs> but I think like one of the one of like the really 
good skills for people who are good at daily fantasy sports, and it's not just football, but any sport, is looking at what happened after a slate and really knowing if you got lucky or if you read everything right. And so um, the, the, the good way to do that is to look at other people's lineups. And if you're new to daily fantasy sports, uh, it's a little tough to know, like, cause like I come from soccer and soccer, the soccer ecosystem is tiny, like minuscule next to, uh, NFL. So like, I know like who the 10 to 15 like best players are. And so it's easy for me to like look at their lineups and see where they went. So football is not quite as easy, but because of that, we have these bigger tournaments where, or bigger tournaments and bigger cash games, uh, at least in terms of double ups where look at the top and say, you don't want to say like, Oh, I can't believe, how did this guy know to play, you know, so-and-so it's more like what was the actual lineup build and, and do you understand why they got to where they got to? And if you're looking at this is certainly much more, much easier in cash games because, uh, with ownership, you tend to see, you know, that's the, the, um, where a majority or at least a good number of people are thinking the same thing. Um, and so you can look and say, this guy was highly owned and I didn't have him. And then you say, why didn't I have him? Like, was this a guy you didn't even consider? And if it's a guy you didn't consider, who's 35, 40% owned in a, in a double up, you missed. (laughs) And even if the, like the 2% guy that you got outscored him, like when you, when you review cash games, um, ownership is like the key because that's where you see like, but this is where these are the floor players that everybody thought was going to be good. And that doesn't mean like everybody's right. But when you have like a high percentage of people who look at a player and say, this is a situation I want to buy into and you didn't even consider it, either your process was wrong or maybe you should play GPPs. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. Uh, I, I really take a look at kind of at the top also, whether it's a GPP or, ca- or cash lineup. But the, the percentage is a, is a really key point. You know, like you said, if you've got some that's highly owned and you're like, oh, I, I, I kind of tossed that guy off right away. Like, what you know, what did I miss? Why did I do that? Uh, you know, and sometimes you may look at that process and be like, you know what? I didn't want to play that guy again. And there was a reason for doing that. And that's fine. But you really have to look at and those kind of things. And, and looking at a GPP lineup, you know, I always look at the top two. But uh, I, you got to look at the you know the top 10 teams, something like that. You know, obviously the top teams. Sometimes you'll look and like they had a 0.1% receiver that had, you know, 160 yards and three touchdowns out of nowhere. And you're like, oh, well, okay, sometimes that happens. But as you look at more and more lineups, you can kind of see how people build their teams, how people built winning teams. You know, was there a, was there a stack that you didn't consider that they, they should have? Was there a cheap tight end? And it really kind of just helps you figure out, you know, what people are doing to win uh, week by week. And as you look week by week, you'll kind of get a feel for, you know, what people are doing right, how people are building stuff. I just think it's really valuable to look at, to look at who who's winning, who's losing, how you are doing. Uh, it, it's kind of the first thing I do. I usually do it on Tuesday sometime. And then I, I try and like not, not, not uh, freak out about everything on Monday, just kind of enjoy the Monday night game and, you know, figure out uh, that kind of stuff. But usually Tuesday I'll take a look and I, I, I find it really uh, helps me learn stuff to take, take a look back at those teams. The discipline to wait until Tuesday is astonishing. I thought you were going to say Sunday night. Um, I, uh, I don't even look at standings until games are over. Um, until you just get the email that you won. Uh, well, no, I'll look when, when the last game goes, I'll look at standings, but I do not watch standings during the day to see where I am or where I'm not. Uh, that's absolutely the healthiest way to do it. Um, which I, I, I although I've understood don't. it's, it's weird and pretty rare though. It is rare. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, I think to, to go back to the whole, like, did, did I get lucky or 
did I nail it? Um, looking at the top of GPPs, I think it's also important if you can look at it and say, wait, that person got lucky too. Like the just right. people win. I mean, there's a element of luck in this game as much as we want to call it a full skill game. Uh, but I think one of the important things, like even if you see that 0.1% guy, you know, at three receiving touchdowns and won the GPP, like if you can look at that winning lineup and understand why that player was in there, that helps you because yep. let's say, you know, it's, oh, he was the third or fourth receiver, but the, but he, it was a, it was a, a quarterback wide receiver stack. And like, that was, a, it's as simple as that. Like he could have played the number one guy, but he played the number three and that guy happened to get it that day. Like um, the, the important thing to know about GPPs is that like, because they're, the payouts are so big and they're so top heavy, like people aren't, you can't go in expecting to win every week. And so if you, you know, let's say you play a hundred dollars every weekend and you lose for 15 straight weeks and then you win 500 grand on week 16, uh, you're going to feel pretty good about that. And so yeah. the, the 15 weeks obviously doesn't feel that good, but like, um, you don't necessarily, you, you can't, I mean, obviously we want to win every week, but you have to understand that you're probably not going to. And so when you look at these, oh, oh, this guy had 1% and it's like, oh, well, I understand why he had him. Or maybe it was, you know, a guy who happened to be starting and he's 3,400 on draft, you know, some ridiculously low price. And it was like, oh, he played him because he fit and he got lucky like that. That happens. Um, what you shouldn't do, which everybody does, is don't look at how many entries people have. Like, that's only going to get you frustrated when you see like, <laughs> oh, he this guy had two two percent on guys, but it's because he had 150 lineups like he happened to get on them. Yes, because he had 150. But like, don't worry about it. Like, it, it's just a guy with a lineup like you're going to get yourself angry looking at like getting all fired up with people with multi lineups who have these like really low on guys because the idea is like, oh, they have so much more money in there. They can play all these combinations. But like you can play that random combination as well in GPP. Like there's no reason to play the optimal lineup in these big GPPs. So the the one that seems like, oh, that's only because he had 150. Like you could have made that lineup with your one. Um, you probably just played it safer because you think you don't want to lose every week. But like that's you understand that there's like a process and these low on guys, like sometimes they just are in there because they're cheap, but sometimes they, they do make sense as like a part of a stack or they're fading the top game. Like last year, early on the season, like who was stacking the bucks with like uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick throwing five touchdowns. Like people are like, right. Oh, they got lucky. And it's like, well, maybe they just saw that nobody was going to play the bucks. And so now all of a sudden that makes sense. And you have to understand that like there are people who specifically target players and teams and games for the sole reason that nobody else is. And like, so if you can understand that process, that's going to help you moving forward. Yeah. And you know, someone probably looked at those games and hated the bucks defense and thought it'd be a shootout. I mean, there's usually uh, in addition to playing someone just because nobody has them, there's usually a reason that really good players yeah. play somebody. So it's, it's a, it's a really good point to, to look at that. You know, just because someone's 1% doesn't mean that was totally lucky. There was, there was usually uh, usually a method to that madness, especially with good players. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that this ridiculous phrase, like any given Sunday, like things, anything can happen. And uh, like the variance isn't as crazy as baseball, but like on any given Sunday, like, the Bucks can beat the Patriots. 
which would be great if they ever did. But like, uh, you know, it can happen. <laughs> and there are people, you know, there are enough entries in these GPPs where there's probably somebody who has built the lineup for that situation because nobody else thinks it's going to happen. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. Uh, anything else on um, looking back at uh, lineups, kind of the kind of the looking uh, looking back to, to get better uh, thought of this? Yeah, I think just the, the more like don't skip it. This is like an important process. And look at your Absolutely. lineups, look at other people's lineups. You can do it in cash games and GPPs and really think like, how did this lineup get built? And there are plenty of lineups. I mean, there are so many lineups out there that you look and you're like, I don't know how this person built a lineup. And the answer is they don't either. Like they just clicked a bunch of numbers or they found an optimizer somewhere and just used that and it didn't work. And that happens too. But if you look and you see good built lineups uh, and then you can understand like if, if there was a gap in your process, if you had the same process and you ended up in roughly the same players, you know, a lot of times in cash games in head to heads, you know, you could have a, a 2v2, meaning you only have two players that are different. And if you're looking at it and you say, well, I, I considered those two players, but I went another way, like then you understand the process. And if there's somebody who has a completely different lineup than you, um, at least try to understand how they got there, because maybe the way that you're building lineups is not the optimal way to do it. Not to say whoever you're playing is optimal, but understanding the lineup build is so important when you're reviewing every week. Yeah, and I've I've learned a lot from that over the years. When I first started playing, my lineups were uh, were, were kind of all over the place, and I've learned a lot from looking at other teams' lineups, looking at mine, and trying to figure out, you know, what what the heck was I doing here? Because I think we get to we get to Sunday morning, and you know, things pop in your head, and things seem like a, you know suddenly like a really good idea, and then you look back, you're like, yeah, that was not really idea a good idea. I just did that to do it. It didn't make sense. So make sure that you're you're putting guys in for a reason. I mean, whether it's you know nobody owns this guy, and I think he might you know he might flash, or you know I think this guy's going to get 26 touches, nobody else does. At least have have a reason for playing guys don't just uh don't just throw them at randomly and, and as you look you know be critical be uh, be tough on yourself it, you're not gonna you're not gonna learn how to get better unless you're really tough on your lineups and, and really honest about uh, what mistakes you made i love that be a reason or have a reason uh mantra because like that's the point like don't just stick yeah. guys in like have a reason and, for and, pe- and people do that they're like oh well i have to throw this guy in. you hear it on saturday and sunday you kind of hear people kind of building towards that and it's why it's important to not go crazy sunday morning and you know suddenly sign up for whole new entries or change your entire team you know sunday morning uh, should be for tweaking not for uh, not for building completely new teams that you've thought about all week <laughs> i think that's yeah i mean sunday morning we'll get to sunday morning later but like it's things happen sunday morning that can make you go crazy and when then all of a sudden Sunday night you look back and you're like my original lineup would have been so much better. <laughs> yeah, and I mean you've got you've got 36 pregame shows going on telling you different <laughs> things. You could just stuff can just get in your head. You, you know as much as you have done your own process and thought your own thing. You know those things those things creep in and you're like oh well maybe you know someone will mention someone and you're like I hadn't thought about that guy. And all of a sudden he's in you know he's in 30 percent of your lineup. So yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, and it happens. Uh, and I, we've all done it. I mean I've been there too. And it, it, you can get influenced by stuff. But my last question for you on this uh, you, you mentioned the cash game percentage is there like a is there a certain kind of percentage threshold where if uh, someone you see is owned in cash games a certain percent you're, and you, you didn't play him you're like yeah i really take a look at that is like 20 percent? is it 40 percent uh, i you play more cash games than i do so what uh, what's kind of that uh that percentage number you look at where you're like oh what, what am i doing there yeah uh 20 sounds about right i mean okay it's it's not so much that it needs to be high enough where it like totally burns you but i think if they're right you know, if you're in a hundred person contest and 20 of those people had one player and you didn't even think about them, 
Um, I mean, you can take the easy way and just look at the results at the end. And if they're the bottom 20 and you're like, oh, I made the right decision. But, um, right. you know, if a player is popular enough where you have, yeah, 20% ownership and just, you know, you have to think like, uh, if you didn't play that player, who did you play instead? Which may be the right call. It didn't, you know, 20% isn't that, that high, um, where you're like, oh man, I, I messed this one up, but you know, you just have to, it just goes back. You have to understand why people, uh, went that route. And if it's pot, you know, if they all bought a lineup from somebody and that's the reason, then that's the reason. But, um, and please don't do that. Uh, but, <laughs> Uh, you know, just, 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 don't, don't, don't sell your lineups either. Yeah, exactly. That too. Yeah. <laughs> but just, you know, it's as simple as that. Just don't, you know, try to understand where that came from. And, you know, the, ideally when they made their lineup, they had a reason for that player. And hopefully by, uh, the time the season starts, you understand why that player was chosen. Absolutely. Fully, uh, fully agree there. Before we get on to uh, kind of how we deal with the middle of the week and uh, how we start to build our lineups, uh, a note from our sponsor, Yahoo. It's officially August, which means fantasy football season is, or football season is around the corner. And Yahoo Fantasy is interested in a new fantasy game called Best Ball that lets you get in the action now. With Best Ball, you draft your fantasy football team, and that's it. You don't need to do a thing once you've drafted your team. Each week, the top-scoring players each position in your roster will automatically count towards your weekly score. Forget about the time commitment. No waiver wire, no trades, no adding or dropping players, no having to make those tough start-or-sit decisions. Focus on the best part about fantasy football, the draft. Tired of doing mock drafts for your fantasy team and having other players drop out early or not finish the draft? Free best ball leagues give you the most accurate ADP, or average draft position, of players before the season starts. Can't get enough fantasy football but don't want to manage those teams all season? You can draft up to 50 best ball teams now on Yahoo. Play for free or pray for cash, but most importantly, get to drafting with Yahoo Fantasy Best Ball. Join a league today at yahoo.com slash best ball. So, Andrew, usually uh, Wednesday or Thursday, uh, you know, the nice thing is with with DFS, the prices don't change. You know, if you're a gambler, you need to jump in early in the week and get those uh, get those lines before they move. I get that that uh, the Monday, Tuesday world of, of betting is way different than DFS, but DFS salaries aren't moving. So, you know, wh- what they are, what they are uh, on Wednesday or Thursday, I usually kind of take my first look. I look at the slate. I look at who's off. I look, you know, who's in, who's in the primetime games, who's not on the main slate. You know, we'll talk about showdowns at some point, but uh, I usually look at the main slate when I when I start my research. Um, I, I'm looking at some Vegas spreads, you know, who's uh, who's super favored, who what games are close look at over unders. You know, obviously the 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 mind, uh, the mind and the eyes jump to those games that are over 50 point totals. You know, you, those are the games that you really start to think about. But, you know, those those games from 45 to 50. What do I think could break out? What do I think? Uh, what do I think uh, Vegas has wrong? What games are too low? What games would I like to go over that, uh, that maybe nobody else does? Um, how do you kind of start to deal with the with the slate? It, it can be a little intimidating. You're like suddenly you got 13 games, uh, 13 new games to to look at and figure out how do you start uh, how do you start your week for dfs it usually starts monday to be honest just because um <laughs> i have it you're one of those week. huh yeah i'm one of those um so just to add into something you said dfs prices don't change after they're released um yes. not that they're like the same all season so yes sorry That's um, good point. so yeah they come out like depending on the site as early as sunday night but you know usually monday everything is out so um a lot of the prices are based off of betting lines. Um, this happens in like a lot of sports, but like usually the favored teams who are expected to score a lot of points are the high are the more expensive players on a slate. So like, you know, if the it's a ex- extreme example, but like if the Chiefs are huge favorites and they're going to score a ton of points, like Patrick Mahomes is going to be the the highest priced quarterback. Like usually, like you said, you have to get the best price uh, for betting. Uh, on NFL early in the week because the, the, you know the the lines haven't shifted much, um, so right. 
but we're, those are the lines that essentially the um, the DFS prices are based on. So we get a little advantage there, like waiting, like you said, the, the DFS prices don't change throughout the week. Um, but generally, you can learn just not everything, but you learn a ton from the betting lines. Like you, you'll see the, the games that you expected to be high scoring uh, come in, and they're the they have the highest totals, and the players in those games are likely to be the more expensive ones. And so, what you want to do is go through the player list at that point and say, "I know which games are supposed to be the highest scoring. Is anyone out of whack here?" And this is before like any practices happen. Um, right. You know that that sort of changes things in terms of injuries. But generally speaking, the betting lines give away everything, uh, and so there's actually a lot of things. Um, later in the week that can happen that we're like, Oh, this changes everything. And then you look at the betting line and like the betting line actually changed already. And so that's built into it. So that's generally where I start. Um, even like the injury stuff is if the injuries happened Sunday, they're usually already taken into account. So like backups are already priced up because it's a possibility that they'll start. And so, uh, you know, I start with betting lines. Then I go to the uh, player pool to see if any salaries are kind of out of whack. But even then, like the injuries, the, the unfortunately you're or not unfortunate, but what you're looking for are players who are underpriced based on what their potential production could be. But if like a player gets hurt, the running back gets hurt and the backup is priced up and then it turns out the starter's fine. Like that's actually a player, like the backup is now way overpriced. And so you right. have no reason to take him. Uh, so it kind of helps in those regards of like, it's basically pricing you out of thinking that uh, it's saving you from yourself there. But, uh, but yeah, like everything kind of starts for me Mondays really, um, just because I'm one of those people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and the point of injuries is good. Cause I mean, you, you, you realize that the, the DFS sites are setting it either Sunday night or Monday morning. They're looking at Vegas lines or looking at injuries that happen. But like you said, you know, sometimes a guy just tweaks something and he left the game and he's, he's totally fine. And they were up three touchdowns and he's totally fine. So it's a good, uh, it, it, it's tough on the DFS sites because they have to set those right away. And there's so much that moves between um, Sunday night and, and the next Sunday morning. So it, it's important to know that when you do get misprices is because it's not because the sites don't know what they're doing. It's just because they have to set stuff so early in the week. And we're looking at our fancy teams, you know, waiver wires and season long and stuff. You have usually till Wednesday. So we usually get a day or two of practice, a day or two of injury reporting, a day or two of coach speak, uh, you know, talking about uh, what's going on. Um, so it's important to know that you can really take some advantage of the fact that sites have to set their site have to set the prices and once they once they're set um they're set you know another thing that goes in the prices too is what happened the week before you know if a guy uh we mentioned that one percent guy that gets 150 yards 150 yards and three touchdowns his price is going up next week <laughs> they have to react to prices um if someone gets if someone is uh you know breaking out you know this is when their price starts to rise so it, it's important to know that you know not only the vegas lines obviously influence stuff but you know what happened the week before is a big influence and for me uh, I love wide receivers, uh, stud wide receivers who have had a couple bad weeks. Uh, their percentage, their ownership percentage goes down. Their price goes down. I love like an Odell Beckham off three bad weeks, stuff like that. You know, wide receivers are very variable. Uh, they blow up some weeks. They have weeks they're down. We talked about how Devontae Adams and DeAndre Hopkins kind of bucked that trend a little bit. But for the most part, uh, receivers have a lot more down weeks than other positions, uh, than you know, at least than quarterbacks and wide receivers. So I really like bad receivers off or really good receivers off a, a few bad weeks, a few down weeks. I tend to think that that uh, sites kind of bump those prices down off a couple of bad weeks. I'm, I'm always looking for that early in the week. Yeah, I think that's a great, excuse me, that's a great call. Like I think one of the you things- fall, You just fall down? <laughs> no, I <laughs> literally just knocked something right off my desk. Um, All right. <laughs> one of the things to, to note though, if in terms of like prices changing 
like into the new week is that they very, very, very rarely price anyone down as fast as they price them up. Like the, Abs- the goal absolutely. is to make guys harder to get, oh, yeah. not easier. So, yeah. no doubt. um, you know, if a guy, like you said, if a guy tweaks something and then it turns out he's fine, like that tweak is not going to pull his salary down at all. Like all it'll do is make the backup more expensive. So, um, don't think like, Oh, this guy got hurt. And you know, if he, I think he'll be fine. Um, no, I'm going to get him cheap next week. Like that generally doesn't happen. So, um, what the idea, you know, you can look into that all you want, but you need to just make sure that you know that like prices generally shift up. It's very, if a guy's price is like steadily going down each week, it's because he's probably earned it. <laughs> yeah, no, no doubt that that's a good point. I mean, they, they, the guys that are breaking out, get up or get up quick and you see them move into the, you know, 7,000 is pretty fast, but you're right. The guys that started the year at 8,000 and kind of struggled, but they're not, they're not going to 5,500 that quickly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We love them too, but they don't. Yeah. Um, so before we get into kind of a, the main brunt of uh, how we how we look at games, how we break down a slate, a quick note from our sponsor, Auto New. Auto New Fantasy Football lets you build your fantasy football dynasty like a real GM. It's better fantasy football, auction-based, deep rosters, and college player prospects. Stash the next rookie of the year while he's still tearing it up on Saturdays. Trade for superstars to make a championship push. Develop a team over multiple years. Play against the best fantasy football competition on the internet. Visit Auto New. That's O-T-T-O-N-E-U dot com today. So as you uh, as you get into the into the week, uh, the first thing uh, we'll talk about is, is is a full injury review. And obviously you're looking at, um, you know, if guys are questionable or doubtful and what that means and who's going to play, who's not going to play. But obviously everybody looks at the offensive players. You know, is a quarterback hurt? Is he going to play? Is a running back hurt? Is his backup going to be, uh, you know, the, the low priced high percentage guy? But it's important to not fall into just that. You got to look at the defense, too. You know, especially like if a stud cornerback is out, what does that mean for the other team's offense? If Aaron Donald is not playing, what does that mean for the, the run team playing the Rams? So I think it's important and it kind of goes gets lost because everybody, all the fancy sites, all the fancy football shows, they talk about what offensive players are hurt. But what defensive players are hurt can make a big difference, too. I like that. Um, and but and I'm going to go back to if a big defensive injury comes out, uh, just look at the game total. And if like if the odds have now moved the total up, then that I mean, that only helps us in terms of like looking at that game versus the other ones. I, I think right. one of the things um, that people kind of forget is using the uh, totals as kind of a barometer versus the other games. Like if a, a game of you know with a total of 52 is high but if there are five games that are over 48 like 52 is actually not that high i mean it's high but like it's not something we need to chase after because there are a few games that are fairly close and so close to that at least so um but usually those things are kind of built into the built into line so if you see a total moving up um it could be because of the you know aaron donald is out and all of a sudden you know people who are looking at props like rushing props may be moving up a little bit and so um, I think, uh, we kind of referenced this a few podcasts ago, but like the weekly waiver wire articles, which people who play DFS theoretically have no interest in, uh, this is where you're going to find like your helpful replacements of injured players. Um, the, I mean, the idea of a waiver wire article, like fundamentally is here are guys that are going to see more work in the next few, you know, game or few games because of the X, Y, Z situation. And like, that's exactly what we want to take advantage of. And so if there's somebody like, you know, somebody's out and here's a player you've never heard of who might do well uh, because he's now in this situation, like that's somebody that may be a little lower owned in GPPs because they haven't been playing, uh, but now they're moving up into this role and maybe they're, 
their price hasn't really adjusted much because they're a backup tight end. But now they're a starting tight end, and they had scored 50 touchdowns on, in D3 college, and they have a great story. And now all of a sudden, like, maybe he's that 2% GPP flyer you need. I'm a little bummed you didn't go with Paul Perkins again as your example of a running back. Uh, <laughs> he was literally time. in my mind earlier, Perkins. and I, <laughs> I, I, couldn't, I couldn't bring him out again. No. I'm done. Yeah, with and obviously with the with the injury report, you know, running a running back who's going to get a bunch of touches is kind of everybody's focusing on. Like we mentioned, if Saquon Barkley's out, who's going to get those carries? Because when a running back is out, someone's got to touch the ball, someone's got to run the ball, someone's got to catch the ball in the backfield. Will it be one guy? It's important to know. Will it be one guy? Will it be three guys? You know, if so if you if you get a, a top running back that gets hurt and there's like three or four guys that are going to kind of share that role, then that becomes not as valuable. But if there's one guy that's we saw it with James Conner last year. You know, Le'Veon Bell, did, you know, held out. That could have been a committee approach, but the Steelers were Steelers are a team that really relies on one running back. They went with James Conner, and James Conner was a bell cow back pretty much off the bat. And so yeah. it's it's important to know um, if there's going to be that one guy or if there's going to be a committee. It's kind of like closers in baseball. You know, if there's there a guy that's next man up, he's really valuable. If there's three guys going to share the role, suddenly that's not so valuable, especially in DFS when you need production that week. So um, that's what I do with injuries. Uh, you know, cornerback is, is, is important too. I mentioned that. Like if Xavier Rhodes is not playing for the Vikings, you know, that may not affect the total that much. That may not affect the overall defense that much but it sure as hell affects wide receiver one on the other side <laughs> yeah that's a great call for sure that's probably the like the biggest one right i mean there and we said last week like there aren't that many xavier Rhodeses out there but like right. that's a big change uh for a defense whereas like you know if a if luke keekley is out like that that hurts the panthers but like i'm not sure your whole um view of that game is changing if you have the opposing running back yeah, that's a, that's a good point. It's, it's, it's those specialized positions of guys, an, an island cornerback kind of thing. You know, suddenly if they're playing the Texans, uh, DeAndre, Hop- DeAndre Hopkins' day looks a lot different without that stud across him chasing him around all day long. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So as you do a game by game breakdown, and we will, uh, you, you and I will do that every week as we're doing the doing the podcast on Friday mornings. We'll break down every game. We'll go through every single game, say what we like, what we don't like. There might be games where we're like, yep, don't like anybody in this game, and skip and move on. There might be games where we like everybody in the game. So we'll we'll do a game by game breakdown for you. But as you're looking at the slate, as you look at the schedule, um, you know, obviously you, you look at the total first, and you kind of what we're looking at, and you're looking for the best matchups. You're looking for defense that can, can be exploited. And when I do that, I'm really looking for, especially mid season. I'm looking for defenses that have been struggling. You know, sometimes you look at the overall defensive stats, you don't really get a true read. But you know, if a de- if a defense has really struggled for three weeks, you know, I look into why is that? Is are, are, is someone hurt? Is someone underperforming? Uh, I'm really looking for defenses that, in the moment where we're looking at, are really getting lit up pretty good. Yeah, I like that. Um, I, I go the not the other way, but I, um, I always when you see somebody is either doing well or struggling, you always have to look at who they played. Like. I think that's one uh, 100%. thing. hundred percent. Yeah. It's one thing that people kind of ignore and they're like, oh, well, you know, the Texans are giving up a thousand rushing yards a game. I know it's, that's an extreme, but uh-huh. you know, if you look and all of a sudden <laughs> you realize that they're playing, they just played the three best running backs in the league. Like, um, the like DVOA is like nice and all, but like there's, there's a point where you need to do that extra step of, was this a result of them playing poorly or they just happen to be playing very good opposing offenses? And so um, if you look at it and they're getting smoked three weeks in a row, but then you're like, oh, well, you know, look at the guys they played and they've all been great. Maybe right. that's a way for you. And then, then, then you know, whoever's playing them the next week, everyone's like, oh, you got to take this running back because this defense is terrible against running backs. Maybe you fade that week because you know that like the running back, the fourth running back who is now up 
is probably not going to be as good as the three that they just played. And so let everybody else fall into that trap because you did the one extra step of research of seeing exactly who, like why the stat is because it is. Yeah. And that flips the other way. You know, if you have a, you know, if Cam Newton has been great the last three weeks, but two of those were against the Tampa Bay bad defense. And one was against, you know, the saints in a shootout, you know, you've right. got to know why someone's doing well too. So you can really break it down. It's a really good point that, uh, you know, not only is someone doing well or poorly, but why they're doing well or poorly is really significant. It's a great way to take advantage of, of stats that people want to rely on. So, so, uh, strongly. Uh, and because like, We've said like a football season is not that long, so we don't get like this humongous sample of like how this team does over a thousand games. Like we generally get them over four games or eight games or 12 games. Like by the end of the season, like we were like, oh, everything kind of even, you know, went where we thought. But you don't get that benefit throughout the season. And so you have to understand um, specifically each matchup and how that affects the stats. And if you think the stats are sh- are either making this team look better or worse. That's how you take advantage because there are a lot of people who are just like, oh, this team gives up a ton of points to wide receivers. So I'm going to take the wide receivers that are playing that team. Uh, And you made that, you know, you went through that research of saying, actually, it's because they played the three highest passing offenses in the league. And this team is 27th in passing and not because of their matchups. You know, their matchups have been fine. And so now you're not falling in to that trap and on Sunday night or for you Tuesday thinking, why did I get this wrong? Yeah, and you know there are extremes in there. You know, if someone just came off playing the Bears defense, you know, you got to take that uh, take that into account. That you know maybe that was a maybe that's a slow game, or if the game was really rainy, you know, maybe that's why they didn't pass the ball. So there's really a lot that goes into you know why someone did that. You know, you can see, you can you see get those extreme games where it's windy and pouring, and mm-hmm. a team has 112 passing yards. You're like, well, I don't want that quarterback. Well, you know that's not going to happen again. You know, you know that uh, that that gets built in. And when you're looking at a game by game breakdown, you know that matters. You know, you look at weather a little bit. I don't overreact to weather. I usually wait till Sunday morning, and I only. I only react to whether if it's super extreme and when it's so extreme it's for me it's just wind um, that really affects the passing game a little bit of snow a little bit of rain usually doesn't affect teams and sometimes offenses actually thrive in that as you know the old adage of you know the wide receiver knows where he's going but the defender doesn't really helps if it's a little bit slick out that you know where you're planting and the other guy doesn't so um, I also look at domes you know especially as November and December you like a fast track in a dome so when your game breaking down the game game by game you know location and weather do matter yeah, for sure. And um, not to bring this up again, but like that stuff will be uh, reflected in the in the totals. Um, oh, yeah. That like if there's there's a there's a reason Saints lines are big in the Superdome. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And and frankly, if for like the non dome ones, but like in these extreme weather situations, like you'll see the totals move significantly. And if you're looking at a game and you're like, boy, it's pouring. Uh, I don't know if, you know, they're they're going to play that well. And the total like hasn't moved at all. Like that should tell you something about that game that like, generally speaking, it takes extreme weather to like really affect like statistical output in games. And like rain is not one of them. Like they play in rain and it usually, I mean, even torrential downpours, like generally, you know, the football is obviously a little slippier, but like these assumptions that we make, like it must be very hard to play in rain. And it's like, these guys are professional athletes. Like they've played in rain before, but like you said, like these extreme wins and it's not you know everyone like well it's a 15 mile an hour win like that's not enough to like really affect a football game uh and so uh people love to like want to be meteorologists when it comes to fantasy sports uh and in football it's just not nearly as important as people think it is 
Yeah, that is a really good point, and I, I just really go with the with the pure extremes. I rarely change a lineup based on weather, but there is their extreme. You know, if you see the the Packers Lions game went from forty two to thirty eight and a half, you know, maybe there really is something to the weather. If there are enough sure. Vegas smart gamblers that are moving that line, that like, oh my god, this actually really is going to be an impact. Then that's when I'll react to stuff. But um, I almost uh, I almost always ignore the weather uh, unless it's a Sunday morning. It looks like it's going to be something extreme, and then, then I'll jump away. If I uh, if I see the sideline reporter, you know, barely being able to keep their hat on and be looking miserable. And maybe that's when I'll start to shift. <laughs> yeah, we we have it. Um, we have a, a, a chat for all subscribers for RotoWire. It's through this, through Discord, and every Sunday morning last season, it was always like, "Well, what's the weather in? How does the weather look?" And generally, yeah. the conversation is like, "It doesn't. It, it it's not even close to mattering." And they're like, "Well, it's rainy and windy," and it's like, "Well, how rainy and how windy?" And then even what you think is extreme, like I wouldn't want to go outside today, and it's like, "Well, that doesn't mean that." it's difficult to play football in this and, and difficult enough that it like drastically affects the output of each player in that game. And so, um, just understand that like weather is important, but only in the extreme. So if Andrew Laird doesn't want to go sit in the Jets game, doesn't mean there's not gonna be any points. I've been to some horrible weather jet games. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I was there and they played and they got killed like they normally do. Do you, are you a, a 10 games in person person? How many games do you go to a year? Uh, I used to have season tickets that okay. that'll be, that could be a story for another podcast. Um, but I All used right. to go to eight or eight to 10 a game, including the preseason. Oh, uh, wow. And, uh, I went to the first game at MetLife, the first Jets game. And, uh, that was my last football game in person. Did you not like MetLife or just, you just gave it the tickets? Uh, both. Okay. Both. Interesting. All right. Maybe yeah, we could use that. the last part of this podcast to discuss it. I don't know. I, uh, that's, that's a good one. Um, so as we're looking at the game by game breakdowns, you know, obviously we talked about totals a lot. We talked about, uh, you know, you're looking for some good stacks. You're looking for what quarterbacks and wide receivers you want to put together. Um, you know, I really like to dig in with wide receiver and tight ends and I'm looking for who's trending up in targets as, as we get to like, you know, week five, week six, week seven. And I, I see a wide receiver that's gone from, you know, three or four targets to a game. Suddenly, you know, he's got seven or eight targets the last couple of games. I, I look into why, you know, if it was an injury, he just fell into and the guy's back. That's one thing. But I really like wide receivers and tight ends that the prices haven't really moved up. They haven't really gone off, but I can see them moving up in targets. They're getting more involved in the offense. Uh, this happens with rookies or second-year guys. They're kind of finally understanding the playbook, knowing where to be. The quarterback's starting to trust them. Uh, one of my uh, that's one of my one of my key ways to kind of look for the cheap guys is those guys that are slowly inching up at targets that are about to blow up. Yeah, I think that's kind of where the where targets and air yards work into your research. And in terms of like the DFS prices are. Not that they ignore those things, but they're generally more concerned with actual production. I know this sounds yes. a little weird, but like, uh, no, it's true. You know, if a guy has is generally a two target guy and then one week he has seven and the next week he has eight and the next week he has six, but he still only has one catch, like his price is not going to go up much. But those are opportunities. And so those are situations that like you should be able to take advantage of. Um, I would probably stay away from that player in cash games unless, you know, he was min priced and I, that's kind of worked in the build of that week. But for GPP, I mean, that's definitely what you want is opportunity because eventually right. the hope is the efficiency catches up at least for one week. You only need it for one week. You don't need him to catch 10 balls next week. It's just this week. And so if you think that's what's going to happen this week, then yeah, go for it. 
Absolutely. That's, that's a good point. You know, obviously we're working for running backs who are uh, jumping into opportunities, uh, whether that be injury, whether that be demotion, whether it be kind of, you know, slowly getting more involved in the offense. And when I look at that, you know, running backs, who might get more action in the past game. You know, you get uh, you get some young guys who maybe are starting to there's the court coaches figured out that they're they're really explosive. They're talented um, running backs, too, that are starting to get more targets, especially in in, in DraftKings. We get a full point PPR. That's uh, that's another thing is I'm doing a game. I gave breakdown. I really look at uh, what running backs are getting more involved on third down. Yeah, I think running backs probably, I don't want to say they're the easiest, but it's maybe it's because I also tend to sign on cash games where they're a little more stable. But like, I feel like you're, you, you tend to focus down on the running backs that you want uh, fairly easily. You need to see the totals. Yeah, I agree there. And then, yeah, wide receivers is where you can get like really creative. And so um, the the research, and, and there are more of them. So like the research there allows you to have a bigger pool of guys that you can possibly take. And so, yeah, those opportunities are definitely what you're looking for. Yeah, and when it comes to rookies and young players, you know, it's uh, as we get into the season, that's when I really start to look at to how they're being involved. You know, someone like a David Montgomery in Chicago, you know, if he's uh, if he starts slow, but you can kind of see it ramping up, getting more touches, more carries, more work on third down. Uh, I think those rookies and young guys really provide a good opportunity to kind of get at a cheaper price. As I'm looking for my game, my game return, I always look at those guys and see if they're getting more involved, especially wide receivers. Um, you know, rookie wide receivers tend to, you know, usually start a little bit slow. You know, Randy Moss is an exception here, obviously. He went crazy in his first game. But, you know, aside from Hall of Fame freak guys like right. that, uh, it just takes a while to learn the playbook. It takes a while for what the quarterback wants. You know, quarterbacks get pissed at rookie because they run the wrong route once. Suddenly, you know, they're not seeing a ball for two quarters. So um, rookie wide receivers, young wide receivers, I, I think uh, as I do my game break game breakdown of guys that I really look at to see kind of how they're developing. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, the, their wide receiver as a whole is a pretty variant position and, and guys who haven't played much are on that on in that range. But obviously, when you have high variance, somebody's going to hit the high part of it, and so that's those are the situations you got to take advantage of. But you're you're right; those like rookie wideouts. I mean, it's very rare that you're going to see a a running a non-starting running back um, have this huge game, uh, and so uh, you know, unless there's an injury. But like scripted wise, it, it doesn't happen. Whereas wide receiver, you know, one or two big plays, and they have this monster game. And sometimes there are these guys, you know. Uh, unknown undrafted free agents who happen to make the team. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, some broken play and they have an 80 yard touchdown. And then it's like, Oh, wait a minute, this guy can catch. And then the quarterback gets a little more comfortable with him, And then, you know, that's when yep. you start to build a rapport and he's getting more targets. And so it's just easier for a wide receiver to have that explosive game. But obviously it's also easier for him to have a zero. Before we get into uh, Sunday morning and how to deal with your lineups, a, a final note from our sponsor, Fantasy Draft. FantasyDraft.com would like to bring an important message about rake. Are you tired of paying high fees to play daily fantasy? Did you know that over these over time, these fees called rake can cost daily fantasy players over 30% of their bankroll? As daily fantasy sites continue to raise rake, prize pools are being squeezed more and more, making it harder and harder for players like you to win. More rake just means more money lining the pockets of big DFS sites and less money for players, but change has arrived. Fantasy Draft has changed the game by bringing you rake-free daily fantasy. That's right. You're now able to play your favorite contest without paying any rake at all. On Fantasy Draft, 100% of entry fees will be paid to contest winners 100% of the time. Playing your favorite contest, rake-free on Fantasy Draft, will save you hundreds or even thousands of dollars of rake each month. Rake-free daily fantasy is truly a game changer. Just imagine what playing on Fantasy Draft is going to do for your bankroll. Register at FantasyDraft.com today to take part in the rake-free revolution. Use promo code RWNFL to receive a free seven-day trial. 
So, Andrew, it's probably a little different for you on the East Coast than me on the West Coast. But Sunday morning, uh, you have until one o'clock for games to start. And I that that I can't even get that in my brain how that works. Um, you know, I love uh, I love a little uh, little breakfast, little uh, little waffles, some hot chocolate. Take a look, final look at my teams. Games start. Um, I think that I would uh, I'd struggle more with Sunday mornings if I had until one o'clock to tweak my teams. But um, as I'm looking Sunday morning, you know, the first obvious thing is you look at in the inactives. You know, about uh, usually about an hour, an hour and fifteen minutes before games start. Usually about eight forty five. My time uh, you get the inactives who's playing who's not playing and that's the that's the real definitive thing with injuries you know if you have a guy that's questionable we don't know until that that inactive and active list comes out so that's important like I mentioned the defensive players if if Aaron Donald's questionable you know make sure you check those lists uh, both for you know so players you're playing against players you're playing for um, that's the, obviously the first key uh, this is where you may get those weather extreme situations we mentioned. You know, if you see something that really jumps off the map as, as problematic weather-wise, maybe this is the time to move. Um, I also think this is a good time to look at projected ownership percentage. You know, this is when uh, those those they really get ironed out. You know, the week has happened. Everybody's done their research. We kind of know who everybody's going to play at this point. Um, this is when I, if I'm going to make a tweak based on percentage, it's going to be Sunday morning for me. Yeah, I, that's – I mean Sunday obviously is when everybody has, has done everything. And so they're kind of, ideally they're right. in their – uh, tweaking time as well. And so, uh, like you said earlier in the podcast, like Sunday morning is really not the time to like all of a sudden see that a lot of people are talking about one specific player. Now you're like redoing everything. And right. so, uh, use that time like wisely to like hone in on what you're really doing and get, make sure that all your players have a reason to be in your lineup or lineups. And that when you work from there, uh, that's the generally the time. I mean, inactives, um, Usually there aren't a ton of surprises. Uh, so, uh, you know, guys that, I mean, it does happen, but usually if guys who are doubtful, although the, with the new designation, they started, what was that last year, the year before it got a little, a little tougher, but yeah, usually, you know, even if there are guys who are like, you know, the guy looked like he broke his leg the last week and he's doubtful to play. And then all of a sudden he's active and it's like, well, do you really want to play the guy who's coming off a what looked like a broken leg? Like, Generally, um, what you want to do is use that time to make like your final decisions and not like your first, second and third decisions. Like just, you know what you have, uh, don't totally rebuild everything. Um, the one advice I have before that though, if you do think like there's one situation where it's like, if this guy's in, I'm going to play him. And if this guy's not in, then I have to go this way. Like make those decisions before Sunday. Like right. if if you're like adamant about playing Tyreek Hill this weekend and he's doubtful to play and then all of a sudden and you're like, I'm definitely playing him and then he's out and you have no idea what to do. Like that's a significant waste of your time on Sunday morning. Like when you decide you're going to go with Tyreek Hill, you need to sit, figure out if he's not going to play, what am I going to do so that all of a sudden it's not 1255 Eastern and you still have no idea what you're doing because the one guy you wanted uh, happens to not be in. So again, you use your time Sunday morning intelligently and not to like just start and put, throw something together. Yeah. And that's important. I mean, if, if, if Tyreek Hill is that guy, like an example, you mentioned, you, you should know what Sammy Watkins salary is. You should know what, uh, with the backup uh, wide receiver salaries, you should know what Travis Kelsey's salary is. If suddenly you're like, well, if Hill doesn't play, I really want to move my lineups towards Kelsey. You know, what does that mean? If he's not playing, you know, how do you, wh- when you go up to Kelsey, where are you going to go down to? I mean, you should, like you said, if, if Tyreek Hill doesn't play, you should have a plan set up that, uh, you know, if he doesn't play, this is what I want to do. Right. What you don't want to do is just look at the next guy who has the same salary and you're like, I'll just play this guy. Cause he's probably just, 
Oh, good. my like, God, yes, because people do that. Yeah, if, right? you, if Tyreek Hill's 8,500 and he's out, don't just play the other 8,500 guy. Like, have a have a plan and have a, re- have a reason. Right, and it's possible that the other 8,500 guy is a fine pivot. Like, it, don't, don't, sure. don't, don't ignore that. But there's a very good but possibility. don't do it just because of that. Exactly. And there's exactly. a lot of people, a lot of people that fill up the lineup and they're like, well, I just need a, I just need a 7,000 guy. Don't do that either. Like, yeah. Have a reason <laughs> right. for playing, guys, because everybody's always like, I, I get questions all the time. I'm like, who's the best receiver between 6,500 and 7,200? 7, like, I, I, I don't do it that way like you need to not just you don't have your last lineup slot be someone just because they fit the salary wise like if they fit perfectly fine but if you need exactly 6800 and you're looking for only guys within a hundred dollars of that you know that's just not a good way to go right and and i i don't think it's bad to like pick a guy just because of his salary but he better be really cheap if that's exactly. the reason that's you're doing point. it and so yeah if, you, if, if you're if you're uh if you if you got if you're picking someone just because he's thirty five hundred bucks that that makes sense you think you like him that week but you know don't pick a receiver just because he's exactly seventy one hundred right like the, the reason you're paying thirty five hundred for a guy is so that you can pay up elsewhere and exactly. so but if you are just like I have seven thousand left and this guy's sixty nine hundred I'll just take him like that's that's poor research. Yeah, no, uh, no doubt there. So uh, that's uh, that's Sunday morning, and uh, I think we're going to move on shenanigans to, to kind of what you were talking about. We'll talk about some stadiums real quick. I do have to jump out of here, so it might be a quick one. But uh, my other question for you is, how do you deal with games not starting till one o'clock? Like, how does that work? I just I, I can't even fathom that. It it actually feels like an eternity to me because it must. I'm, it well, to. the the difference I have what you have for soccer, uh, it's like the Premier League slates on Saturdays start kick oh, off at ten a.m. Yeah. Eastern, and that. Um, that's like a whole different way to play. Like we don't get lineups until nine o'clock, like the hour before and everything can change in that hour. Um, football, like the, there is soccer on Sunday. So I actually can fill my Sunday mornings uh, a little bit better, but, um, it's actually, I, I would prefer just the way of my own lifestyle. I would prefer football to start at 10 AM. Uh, the one that gets me is the Sunday night game. Like by the time that rolls around, I feel like I've, and I know it sounds ridiculous to like complain about watching like 14 straight hours of football, but by like right. week 13, like it, it can get a little old. And so, um, if I could like move everything up three hours, I would actually sign up for it. So, uh, in terms of stadiums, you mentioned that, uh, you're not a MetLife fan. Let's go to that real quick. Uh, what, let's, let's go with, uh, getting to know your host a little bit. What, uh, what are your, uh, favorite and least favorite stadiums that you have been to games in? Uh, you can, and you can cross sports if you want, if you want to go, uh, if you want to go soccer and some Arsenal or Chelsea, I'll let you do that too. Uh, it's, it's not that I dislike MetLife. Um, and it's definitely like better than, uh, old giant stadium, which was like a total dump. Okay. Um, the, <clears throat> the story that I will tell another time, but I basically had very good seats at the old giant stadium. And then when they changed the new stadium, my seats were not nearly as good. And I became a total like good seat snob. And okay. I will totally admit like that's why I can't go back. Um, and I kind of feel the same way about Yankee Stadium. Like I have been to well over 100 games at the old Yankee Stadium. And I remember going to the new one and just being like, it's definitely nicer. Like the experience, I guess, is better. Um, but and that's not to say I dislike new stadiums because like um, – we were talking recently, what's the Oracle Park, which was AT&T Park when I went, where the Giants play, San Francisco right. Giants. Like, that's my favorite yes. park. That's my favorite, like, place to watch sports. Like, I love it. I think part of it is that I adore San Francisco, and so I'm like, I'm in San Francisco. And so that plays a part. I went to um, an LA Galaxy game uh, a few years ago, and I was like, this is, ex- this is amazing. And then I'm like, but is it amazing, or is it just because I'm in Southern California? 
And like, I felt that way about Petco Park in San Diego. And I'm like, this place is great. Or is it that I'm in San Diego? Um, and so th those are definitely like my favorites. And I still haven't really decided if it's because of where I am versus the actual stadium itself. Um, but I feel like I, it's easy for me to say the old giant stadium is, was like the worst place I've ever been. Like it was just awful. Um, I had some great times there, but like as an actual like stadium experience, Oh, I take that back. I take that back. The vet was the worst. <laughs> the vet was the worst, uh, in I Philadelphia, it was all, that, that it felt the, like a temporary stadium, much like the old Shea. Um, and everything about it was just awful. It had like the old, like AstroTurf carpet. And, um, the, it was, it was basically built in this time where they were like, Oh, we'll just do like a multi-use stadium. And like, there were no good places to sit. And it that was the worst. Sorry. Definitely the worst. <laughs> yeah. I have, I've not been to the vet, but I did go to uh, three rivers when it was that way. Mm -hmm. The multi-purpose, I actually saw an all-star game there, but you could tell the stadium was just terrible. Yeah. Uh, my favorite park is actually PNC park in, for, for, for the people. pirates in, uh, in baseball. Um, you know, I, I think that what you said, you know, how, where you are and know what the experience is really impacts a lot. I mean, I love PNC, but I haven't been on a road trip with my wife. She was pregnant. It was kind of like our, our last trip together before we had the baby. And um, we had a connection. Where we actually got to go down in the field for batting practice beforehand. So kind of a lot of that works into it. But PNC is beautiful. Like the views are great. I love any park where you can, um, you know, go get dinner right before uh, right or, bar, or go to a bar right before the game and then walk into the stadium. I hate places that are, you know, kind of game and you leave and there's nothing to do yeah. there. You know, Oakland. Oakland's that way. I have good memories there, but you know, you're pretty much going to the game in Oakland. You can tailgate and all that kind of stuff, but you're going and then you're leaving. You're not, uh, you're not hanging out. I like Petco for that reason. Like you're right in the gas lamp in San Diego. Yeah. You can, you can go get some food, get some drinks, walk to the game. It's just, it's just a more pleasant atmosphere. PNC is, is beautiful. Every sight line is great. I walked around the place a couple times and I couldn't find a place where I wouldn't want to sit down and watch the game. So, uh, they did everything right there. AT&T park or Oracle park is great too. You know, I'm a, I'm a little uh, biased there cause I'm not a giants fan and giants fans kind of annoy me. So uh, I'm, uh, I hesitate to admit how much I like that park, but it's, it's a beautiful place. They did everything well. Uh, in terms of football, uh, you know, Lambeau Field is one of those places just special. Uh, we went to a game there. I saw Brett Favre tie the touchdown record, so it's just kind of an awesome place. But it's just, the, just the fan the experience and walking in, you're like, oh, my God, I'm in Lambeau Field. Yankee Stadium is that way for me, too. I love the old Yankee Stadium, and I can't – I wouldn't say I can't stand the new one, but the new one's just kind of like, eh, it's just like walking into a regular new stadium. It's like walking into, you know, Philadelphia or yep. uh, any of those places. They're just kind of all the same. As far as worst stadiums, uh, I don't think it's really that close. Tropicana Field for the for the Tampa Bay Rays is just an awful place. Uh, mm -hmm. You walk in and it feels like you're in a, like a basketball arena. There's like a concourse where you can't look in and see anything. You know, there's kind of tunnels to the field, and you just can't you can't be like getting a hot dog and see what's going on or even feel what's going on and hear the crowd. It's just a it's a weird place. It was built. I think it was built to be a multi-purpose kind of basketball arena, host Final Fours, that kind of stuff. It's just it just doesn't work. It's uh, and the roof is weirdly slanted, so it feels like you're even more uh, more. Uh, more trapped in that place than you really are. Like, you know, the Metrodome was like a, this huge, like a uh, huge roof where it was kind of, you felt like you were in a big place in Tampa Bay. I think they did it to cut down air conditioning costs. So they have less uh, cubic feet to, to cool down. Uh, but the, the roof is slanted and like center field comes down. There's, there's uh, you know, those catwalks that are in play. It's a horrible place to watch baseball. It's a horrible place to be for three hours. And uh, I feel bad for Rays fans. They actually have a good team, but I can't imagine it's fun ever going to that place. Uh, speaking of the Rays and Tampa Bay, I had went to the old Olympic Stadium in Montreal. Oh, how was um, that? It's It was the first time I had ever seen a baseball game in a dome. And okay. uh, I, I don't think I've ever even seen a football game in a dome. But um, the, the whole idea 
of playing an outdoor sport inside <laughs> was like so crazy to me. Yeah. Um, and we like walked in and I'm like, how do they not hit the roof? And like, yeah. how is it, how are, are they able to play a game where the ball travels so high and so far inside? And, um, the answer is that they just built it big enough. That's what right. I learned when I was in Montreal. Well, in Tampa Bay, they didn't. It literally right. in Tampa, crap they don't. All, that's they right. That's all right. the time. It, it <laughs> you're right. You're it's, right. It, it makes no sense. Like, I just don't. I don't know how it works. It's just a terrible place. I've been to. Like, I've been to the Metrodome in, in Minnesota. My 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 dad grew up there, so we did a lot of like summers and winters. And we, you know, Minnesota. That place was gigantic. Like, it just it felt weird going to watch baseball. It was kind of fun. It was loud. It was just kind of weird. You kind of knew you were you're playing wall ball when you're in there. They they call it the they call it, they call it the Wally Ball and they call it the Wally Dome and all that. And they mm-hmm. had the 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 garbage bag in right field but it just had a little bit of it had a little bit of character and flavor to it I mean, baseball indoors is bad unless you're in you know houston or arizona and you have to be indoors because it's just too hot but, but that's like uh, you know minnesota, in minnesota is just not terrible it's just terrible but but they have like natural grass so it's like yes, it's do. like not really indoors i mean yeah they, obviously they, like the roof is closed but like right. if you can open the roof i don't consider that like a dome anymore yeah, I think that's a good point. Like Metrodome was like that that awful astroturf carpet right, and right. just one of those things. And football actually indoors was uh, – you know, Minnesota is actually pleasant because it's so cold outside. I've been mm-hmm. to a number of games in the, in the old Metrodome that it was – you know, that was that, – in a dome, that was uh, that was actually really fun. And, and, and you can, football just kind of works that way. You know, you don't need – you don't need that outside. You don't need the summertime. But uh, yeah, I get it. Uh, I, I like outdoor stadiums much, much more. But uh, in terms of uh, – at least the, the Metrodome had some character. It was a, it was a bad place to watch a game, but uh, you kind of felt like – it was a fun experience and and that's sort of what i feel uh is missing from like the new yankee stadium or metlife like the character is just gone and obviously the old yankee stadium had like ridiculous history that like um they made sure you knew about when you were there and they try to replicate it now and it's like you look around you're like it's like it takes you half a second to recognize that babe ruth did not play in the stadium yeah, and you walk in the old Yankee Stadium, it's like, oh, that's where Brocious hit that ball. That's where Tino hit that ball. That's yeah. where Aaron Boone. It's just like, you, and you just walk, you don't, you don't do that now. It's like, yeah. you don't be like, now you're like, oh, that's where A Rod hit that opposite field home run off Joe Nathan. It just doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't feel, <laughs> it doesn't feel the same to me. I know that they've, they've, they've had some moments there and all that, but it just doesn't, uh, I don't know. It doesn't have the same vibe to me. And obviously the menus are way nicer and there's better food. There's better place to get drinks. You don't stand in line as long. The bathrooms are not, are, are way, way better. But, I don't know. It's just uh, for baseball for me, like walking into Wrigley. I mean, that's probably my my favorite old time place to watch a game is Wrigley. It's just you just walk in there. You just feel all these things You're like yeah, that's where that happened. That's where this happened. It's just I don't know. Baseball has that that old time feel to me that maybe other sports don't need. Totally agree. Totally agree. So uh, other than that, I appreciate uh, everybody listening. Thanks for listening to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, the DFS Friday version. Uh, Andrew, I will be back at you next Friday talking some more uh, DFS strategy, some more DFS stuff as we get uh, closer and closer to the regular season. We're getting more news and more player info, so uh, it should start to uh, ramp up pretty good. We appreciate everybody listening. Uh, we're sponsored by Yahoo Fantasy Sports. We appreciate them. Other than that, we'll be back at you next week. Take care and have a good week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.